informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend as we kick off Thanksgiving week. And uh, we hope you all have a very wonderful Thanksgiving and holiday season, time with family and friends. In our house, we've started the holiday decorations, which I love to do. I love to see the house decorated and lit up. But I have to admit, each year, those trips up into the attic get harder and harder to make. But we're getting there, getting it done. It just takes us longer than it used to. A, because we have more things to put up all the time, and B, because we're moving a little slower. But anyway, we're ready to get this week moving. A lot going on. We're going to talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We're going to talk about the uh, harm being done to our U.S. pork exports because of tariffs. We'll be talking with the National Pork Producers Council a little bit later on. We're also going to be focusing today on the opioid crisis in this country and what's being done to battle that. All that coming up on today's program. But we start things off with Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. And I feel your pain on the holiday decorations. (laughs) I started this weekend, too. And it's always a lot of fun, but the uh, the attic is a little more uh, uh, rickety process than it used to be in crawling up and down. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. Well, this uh, it's interesting uh, what some of the things we got to talk about this week. Uh, first of all, let's start with that a split decision, shall we say, between FDA and USDA over lab meat or cell meat or whatever you want to call it. Some call it fake meat, whatever. But we, uh, we're we going to have uh, both agencies with some uh, oversight authority. Right. Well, it was big news to have FDA and USDA roll out how they were going to divide this up. And basically, the cultured meats would be regulated by FDA early on in the process, and then during the harvesting stage, the authority would move over to USDA, which has historically had uh, oversight of meat inspection. And so I think that provides some additional certainty for folks that uh, we've got, you know, at least a plan going forward. Now, it is still out for comment, and I think we have some folks who are still thinking we need some more certainty on the labeling parts of uh, this whole process of exactly how those um, definitions for beef and meat are going to be addressed, but uh, it's a it's a good step forward for livestock producers, I think, to have this sort of a joint authority and at least a path forward for how the agencies plan to proceed. And then uh, late last week, I'm I'm watching the ceremony at the White House. Uh, President Trump awarding the Presidential Medal of Freedom to seven uh, Americans, and I was especially interested because I'm a Dallas Cowboys football fan, so Roger Staubach, my favorite cowboy of all time, was receiving it, and also I'm a big Elvis fan, and uh, Elvis received uh, one of those awards as well, but in the, during the comments, just kind of a throw-in comment as he's introducing people in the crowd, the president mentions uh, interim or acting uh, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, will he will nominate him to be full-time uh, remove the interim part of his title. Uh, so that was interesting when he slipped that in, kind of caught it, caught us all, I don't know if by surprise, it's not that it's that unexpected, but that he used that moment to make the announcement. Well, absolutely. You never know exactly when the president is going to make some comments, and he often slips in things about farmers or 
ranchers when he's talking about things that are unrelated. But in this case, uh, the fact that he was going to give Wheeler the full-time job and remove the acting title, I think, was very big news. Um, Most people think that Mr. Wheeler has got a lot of very good background to take over this lead role. He certainly presided over EPA during some very contentious times uh, and certainly had to pick up some pieces after Scott Pruitt left and doesn't seem to have the drama that Mr. Pruitt brought with him in terms of his security detail and some of the costs that he was investing in travel and things like that. So I think that if those things can go away, then Mr. Wheeler can focus on the things that he needs to get done, like year-round sales of E15 and and, uh, a lot of very contentious issues uh, regarding pesticides as well. So um, I think the farm groups uh, seem to be very pleased with the fact that that seems to be the direction that Mr. Trump is planning to proceed with um, as president. We're talking with Sarah Wyant with AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, will we see uh, a farm bill farm bill deal announced today? Well, it was really interesting last week, Mike, when we saw early in the week, and I was talking to different members, uh, Chairman Roberts. Uh, who were optimistic at one point and then got very frustrated when the staff meeting didn't seem to make as much progress as it was uh, and expected to. And, you know, people have been working around the clock over their weekends just trying to get this done so they can all enjoy Thanksgiving and, and more importantly, Christmas as well. And in order to have a good Christmas, we need to get the farm bill done this week and then the scoring and the text and all that has to be worked on, and that's going to take a couple of additional weeks. So there was a kind of a uh, closing argument made that something had to be done. Some finger-pointing erupted on Tuesday, but then another day later they seemed to be singing Kumbaya a little bit more. And as you may have seen on our reporting on our website, the latest is that both Chairman Conaway on the House side and Ranking Member Peterson, Colin Peterson, have uh, put a joint proposal back to the Senate on some of the most contentious issues that are remaining. And so the things are moving along quickly. There was some explanation that they could have gotten done as as soon as today, but we uh, will be watching this closely to see if it, it has actually advanced that much over the weekend. And meanwhile, looking ahead to a battle looming next year over a vote on the new NAFTA or USMCA, uh, some folks are kind of lining up on that already, voicing some uh, concerns and criticisms of the deal. Well, they certainly are, and, and we've been trying to look at who was uh, in Congress when the last one passed and who voted against it then, and to see whether or not there's any movement. Um, you know, we've got a lot of both Republicans and Democrats who have been skeptical of some of these trade agreements. But there were some improvements for the auto industry and some things that the labor unions have long sought, in, in especially in the negotiations with Mexico. And so whether or not there's going to be enough of a coalition of the willing to get this done uh, early next year remains to be seen. But certainly there have been some advancements. Maybe they didn't move quite as far as some of the environmentalists uh, would like to see, but Certainly, there's some good things in here for improving wages for auto workers in Mexico, for doing a lot of things. You think there might be some support from the labor unions that also will definitely get some support from farm groups 
who want to see this done. They just want to get past that and and then to see whether or not the steel and aluminum tariffs can be removed as well. That is going to be a very interesting battle indeed. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but we first things first, we have the farm bill and some other things to deal with here yet this year. China. Sarah, always, <laughs> and China is always there, right? That's the issue that's always there as we look ahead to that the big uh, G20 meeting and see what might come there. Sarah, good luck with the Christmas decorations. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week. Same to you. Thanks, Mike. All right. Sarah Wyatt, editor, publisher of AgriPulse Communications. What kind of weather are we going to have this Thanksgiving week around the country? We'll talk about that next with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by 
Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. This Thanksgiving week, let's check the weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, how's things shaping up? There'll be a lot of traveling, obviously, this week. Uh, what kind of weather are we going to have? Well, it looks pretty favorable, Mike, uh, for uh, just about all of the uh, country, except for maybe the southeastern uh, part of the uh, U.S. and then along the Atlantic seaboard. That's where moisture is going to focus. Uh, but here in the central uh, U.S., Plains, Midwest, it is going to be dry for the most part. And uh, considering uh, everything that, you know, the central part of the country has had to put up with uh, this season, uh, that's a a pretty good break. Uh, The uh, primary feature is going to be cold frontal boundaries focusing over the Appalachians and then through the Atlantic coast. And so that's where the moisture is going to be. Um, Otherwise, high pressure is going to be pretty dominant. There'll be some still harvesting if they can get in the fields this Thanksgiving. Uh, some of those areas, uh, the Dakotas, Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota, and some of those uh, areas, are they going to get to some favorable conditions to get out there and, and finish up? I think they will. Uh, the the uh, major area now that seems to have the uh, biggest concern is in the immediate Great Lakes in Wisconsin and Michigan and then western Ohio. And still uh, today, well, we're getting some uh, rain and snow in those areas. This week is going to be drier finally in the Great Lakes, and uh, that's going to uh, be pretty well used. I think that there could even be some growers who uh, take part of Thanksgiving Day itself and uh, get in the harvest field if they can, considering how late it is and, and how much delay we've seen. So that's, a, that's the sort of uh, season we've got. But I do think that they're going to have some chances to uh, make some uh, headway on, you know, probably, hopefully, for sure, the last half of harvest in in some of those uh, real uh, delayed areas and maybe the final stages for a lot of other places. Here in Illinois, where I live, I've often said in recent years, I'm more apt to be mowing my yard at Thanksgiving than I am on Easter uh, just the way the seasons have kind of worked the last few years. But here this year, uh, it's been a snowy November. I mean, we still have leaves on the trees and snow on the ground. Uh, it's been an early start. Is this something we're going to see more of? Is this going to continue, or is this just kind of a, a brief opening shot before we start turning mild again? Well, uh, th- next week is going to be pretty decent, at least uh, for for quite a few locations, uh, except for, uh, say, Minnesota, and uh, Wisconsin, again, the immediate Great Lakes, along with uh, eastern North Dakota, because uh, we are going to have a milder trend for next week. In fact, uh, parts of the plains, uh, the central plains, western Midwest could have temperatures that get to around 10 degrees or so above normal. So that's going to be, you know, a big difference, of course. Um, After that, it's going to uh, turn back colder. I mean, we're getting into December 
and uh, we are not going to have, in all likelihood, a uh, a real mild or or above normal trend during December. Uh, we started to get into uh, some uh, occasions where there are periodic shots of some pretty uh, chilly air that move in, and I think that that is the way things are going to be. Our forecast for the winter is for a colder winter than um, you know than normal over uh, most of the central U.S. and even the National Weather Service. While they are talking about temperatures being normal to above normal across the central part of the country. Uh, reminded everybody who was on a, a, a conference call last week uh, when the monthly uh, forecast updates came out that just because uh, there may be normal to above normal temperatures during the winter season, that does not mean that it's going to be warm uh, because winter is is a colder season. And so, you know, don't get fooled by that trend or by that forecast, so to speak. What is the El Nino influence on this winter? That still is uh, a, a point of uh, some uncertainty at this time. Um, the water temperatures are certainly acting like, uh, like an El Nino pattern is going to be taking place because the water temperatures in the Pacific are um, just at the, uh, at the level where El Nino is judged to be in effect. They're running about one degree Celsius above normal, above average uh, in the eastern Pacific. And then even uh, when you go down about uh, 500 to 1,000 feet below the surface, those water temperatures are also fairly warm. But the wind pattern uh, measured by the Southern Oscillation Index has not started to really um, you know, show that uh, type of reaction to those warmer temperatures yet. Uh, so that is uh, still to be determined. And uh, considering that that uh, atmospheric uh, response hasn't uh, shown up yet, there's still some uncertainty as to exactly how long this feature will last. And, and that's, uh, you know, like I say, it's a, it's a point of some, uh, of some debate over the, uh, in the weather community. Uh, our call is for El Nino to be a real brief uh, situation, and uh, the NOAA call is for the El Nino event to uh, last a little bit longer. And like I say, at this point, uh, there still is a fair amount of uncertainty as to how that's going to happen during the winter. Talk you with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, take us around the globe. Uh, what are some of the uh, issues and uh, weather conditions in various uh, key producing areas of the world? Well, South America, Mike, is still doing quite well, particularly in Brazil. Uh, Brazil soybean planting is about done. I think it's around 90% finished uh, as of last weekend. Uh, they've got more rain ahead in Mato Grosso and Goiás, Mato Grosso do Sul and Paraná uh, during this week. And the way the Brazil soil structure is, uh, heavy rainfall is not just going to collect and, and cause a real standing water problem. So periodic rains are, are welcome, and even if they're heavy, uh, that's going to be okay. Uh, so they're... Their uh, soil moisture situation is looking quite favorable. Argentina last week did have some flooding, and um, that was, of course, due to heavy rainfall. Now, the pattern has turned a little bit better because uh, this week they will have some light rains, and that's about it. Uh, and I think that that's going to be uh, certainly suitable for improving field work and even for their wheat crop. Uh, it's going to get better. Uh, speaking of wheat, the uh, Black Sea region in uh, Ukraine and Russia they will have some light rain this week, maybe 
oh, close to a half to one inch in southern Ukraine and south Russia. But a little bit farther west in eastern Europe, it is uh, getting to uh, be a little bit concerning now because it has been dry in that part of Europe. France has gotten better rainfall, Germany, and then the uh, Balkan Peninsula has not. So uh, that's uh, an area of the world that is still on the dry side. Um, Australia, we know, is very dry. They will get some rain kind of in southeastern Australia this week, but it's uh, too late to offer the wheat crop much uh, benefit. And, uh, you know, as we go through uh, some of these later uh, crop estimates uh, from USDA and the supply-demand updates and so forth, I think we are going to see a few more reductions in the Australia wheat crop as we go through the balance of this year and on into early 2019. Uh, back to South America, sounds like they're still on pace to probably have a lot of uh, soybeans available earlier than normal to get them out in the market this year. Yeah, they sure will. In fact, it looks like that Brazil soybean crop is going to start getting harvested in December, and there could even be some soybeans um, available to be loaded before the first of the year. And uh, that's that's a real uh, a change from what I think of as a typical situation I used to think that at least we would get through the uh, New Year's uh, college football bowl season before uh, the Brazil soybean crop uh, came into the export market, but it doesn't look like we're even going to make that this year. All right, uh, real quick, uh, folks out west, any uh, uh, as they're trying to you know battle what's the remains of those fires and uh, try to recover and uh, look through what they have there. Uh, assess the damage and things like that. What kind of conditions will they have out in California? Well, there are some uh, notable rains that could occur this week in uh, northern California and even into the Central Valley uh, that, you know, could help to uh, to uh, solve the uh, the burning uh, and at least provide some moisture for, uh, for getting control of those uh, wildfires uh, for the time being completely. Uh, the problem that may happen, and I'm, I, I know that everybody is watching this, is uh, do the rains fall uh, real hard? Because if they do, that could cause mudslide problems in areas that have been burned out. And also, if the rains uh, are, are too, too much too quickly, that could actually hinder some of the recovery efforts. So uh, this, um, th- this real uh, out-of-control situation overall is is still going to be very difficult to deal with in the far west but it does look like the rainfall may help at least put the fires out and that's one place to start yeah i was thinking that same thing it's a fine line you need rain to get the fires under control but uh, too much too hard too soon can cause a lot of problems too for them so uh hopefully we pray that that'll work out for the best and uh keep all those folks in our thoughts and prayers certainly bryce thank you very much for the complete weather update and have a happy thanksgiving we'll talk to you next week sounds good mike happy thanksgiving to you also dtm meteorologist bryce anderson all right we're going to talk about rural health care the opioid crisis coming up next here on aoa adams on agriculture okay men this is your time Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. 
No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain traders expecting some volatility in prices as the Thanksgiving holiday will disrupt this trading week. Grain markets will be closed for a full day on Thursday, close at midday on Friday. Grain prices finished mixed last Friday after seeing some strength from possible developments on the trade front. President Trump expressing optimism Friday that the U.S. could cut a deal with China on trade, but he said he would continue to press Beijing for more concessions. There's renewed concerns over the China-U.S. trade situation after Vice President Mike Pence took aim at China over the weekend. Pence saying at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit that the U.S. will continue to hold nations accountable for their unfair economic practices. Soybean futures an hour in on this Monday, trending 13 to 14 and a fraction lower. January at 8.77 and three quarters, down 14 and a half. Argentine farmers had finished planting around 21% of the area intended for soybeans as of mid-month, according to the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange. Heavy rains hitting many parts of the country's main agricultural areas, forcing replanting in some situations. In corn, near unchanged on this Monday, December 364 and three quarters, steady money. Chicago wheat December down five and a half at 501 and a quarter. Minneapolis December down a penny and three quarters, 569 and a half. Kansas City December down six and a quarter, 476 and a half. Live cattle, December contract, 37 higher at 115.72. Saw cash sales on Friday at 114, generally steady with the prior week. Feeder cattle, January up 20, 146.72. December lean hogs down 15 at 59.92. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we always try to keep track of uh, the issues facing rural health care in this country. Uh, some real challenges out there. Some can be addressed in the Farm Bill. Others will take other action to, to be addressed. 
Uh, keeping us up to date is Diane Kalmus. She is the Government Affairs and Policy Manager for the National Rural Health Association. She joins us now. Diane, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for so much for having me. Uh, we'll start quickly with the farm bill. Sounds like maybe they're getting close to some kind of agreement. What are you hearing when it comes to the uh, issues that most impact rural health care? Absolutely. I think that there, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of movement, a lot of conversations happening on the Hill um, about moving the farm bill forward. And we're hearing really positive things for rural health care and being included in this farm bill. Um, there are a couple of really important um, provisions that were included either on the House or the Senate side, and we're hearing positive things about getting them all added into the final farm bill. So things like a new financing option for rural providers, which would allow rural hospitals to refinance loans using the USDA program, which has much lower um, financing rates, which is fantastic for rural hospitals. Um, additionally, a rural health liaison position within the USDA, which would allow duplication of programs between USDA, um, HHS, the various government um, organizations with all of their acronyms. Um, they often have programs that are very similar but funded through different streams, and those streams never talk to each other. And so we'll have very similar programs. This liaison position will make sure that those people are working together, even though they're not in the same agency, um, to really be doing the most with the limited dollars that are available. Um, there's some additional opioid um, provisions that are included within the program um, to really address that problem, um, as well as the... USDA has recently created a technical assistance program um, for rural hospitals, and uh, we've been working with the committee to make sure that there is some what we call report language, um, and this is language in there that's really supportive of this program, um, which would allow us to expand it if that program proves to be very effective. So we'll see what happens. Uh have to have an agreement and uh, scoring and uh, all the paperwork and then getting it to the floor for a vote and a, a long ways to go yet this year, but uh, we'll keep a close watch on that. Now, you mentioned the opioid crisis, and I especially wanted to uh, get an update from you. We know that's a real issue throughout the country, especially in rural America. Kind of give us an assessment of, uh, of this uh, crisis, where we're at, and some of the things being done to try to fight it. Absolutely. So um, we have seen a lot of interest and movement on Capitol Hill in addressing the opioid crisis. Unfortunately, it continues to be a major problem in rural America um, and very much in the perspective of the death rates are much higher in rural America than in urban areas. Um, and part of this is that there's a lack of treatment resources, um, as well as, as everyone knows, it's further to get to an emergency room if somebody does experience an overdose. Um, it takes longer for an ambulance to get to them to have those life-saving drugs. Uh, we are seeing a lot of movement in that area, a lot of improvement in getting those resources into rural communities. Um, and the USDA actually has put together a number of resources um, that we have been working with them on um, to make sure that people are aware of all of those programs and make sure that they're really getting out to the communities. Additionally, um, Health and Human Services in HRSA, which is one of the divisions of that, um, through the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy, which is to say the department that specifically works on rural programs, um, has a program that will allow rural communities to plan to get these additional dollars. So one of the issues that we've seen in the past is that dollars are available, but the communities have to have already planned the products before 
um, with their own money. Uh, these planning grants will allow rural America to kind of get everything together in order to get the dollars to actually execute on those programs, which is huge for rural communities that often just don't have the resources to put into planning those programs. But we know the American Farm Bureau Federation and the National Farmers Union are also working on this, uh, trying to create more awareness. And I would think, Diane, that's a, that's a big part of this. Uh, too often we don't find out about the problem until it reaches a, uh, a critical uh, stage, uh, uh, perhaps even a tragic stage, because uh, so, there's a lot of folks dealing with this uh, quietly, silently, uh, not coming forward uh, for whatever reason. So that makes it even harder to uh, to deal with this issue. Um, have dealt with this on their own, um, and, and we just haven't heard about it. And now we're seeing more people willing to come out and say, yes, this impacted my family, um, and, and start addressing the problem. Additionally, having those resources available, having the opportunities to provide those programs, one of the areas that we're seeing really great successes um, is in the availability of telehealth, so allowing people to receive the help that they need without having to go to a specific drug treatment clinic, which requires them to, in a small rural community, everybody knows everybody, um, and this allows them to kind of receive that help without the entire community knowing about it um, until they're ready. Um, and so that has allowed a lot of people to reach out and start receiving help um, before they're kind of willing or able to, to be more public with, with the fact that they have this issue. Um, and so making those resources available, um, the Farm Bill also includes um, a helpline um, that's more general to um, mental health um, for farmers specifically because so often farmers are working in a little bit more isolation. They don't have the time or the resources to go and receive that treatment. And additionally, there is um, unfortunately a lot of stigma in a lot of rural communities. Um, so finding ways to um, make it easier um, in so many dimensions for um, rural Americans to receive that help is essential. We're talking with Diane Kalmus with the National Rural Health Association. And, Diane, this is a problem that can kind of sneak up on someone. Uh, you can wind up uh, addicted to uh, these uh, medications without even realizing it's happening. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's the story of far too many people is they, they start taking it. Their doctor prescribed it. Um, they initially take it how the doctor prescribes. They feel more and more reliant on it, um, and it just, spirals into a full-blown addiction, unfortunately. So it's a, it's a huge issue facing all of the country, but especially rural America, and we'll keep a close watch uh, on what's uh, the efforts to try to help people with the situation. Uh, Diane, also, we always uh, talk to you about uh, keeping an eye on uh, our rural hospitals. We know a number of them have been closing. Uh, what's the latest on that situation? So we've continued, unfortunately, to see that number escalating. We're at 90 hospitals right now, and we already know of a couple of more um, that have already declared an intent to close. So we do, um, unfortunately, anticipate that we'll see that number continue to rise. Um, that said, we've continued to work with the administration um, as well as the Congress to start addressing some of the issues that these hospitals are facing and why they're facing closures. Um, we've had a lot of great successes. Um, in kind of um, various smaller provisions that aren't, aren't quite enough to save all of these hospitals. Um, but we're starting to see some movement with this administration, um, really starting to understand 
um, the plight of these hospitals and that these across-the-board cuts that we keep doing to all hospitals, saying, well, that's the fair thing to do. They really um, impact rural hospitals much more dramatically. Rural hospitals tend to have a lot more um, older and sicker and poorer um, patients that they're serving, um, and they have far fewer private-paying patients um, that have private pay insurance that pay higher rates that kind of subsidize some of the um, lower rates that both Medicaid and Medicare pay. Um, and so it's a lot harder for these hospitals to make ends meet. And so we've, we've started making some real inroads with this administration and understanding. Um, obviously, with the new Congress, we have a lot of work ahead of us to really educate members um, on the issues that are unique to rural America. Um, far too often, people think of rural as just a smaller version of urban, um, and that just is not true. Um, there's a lot of a lot of important differences. Um, a lot of them are really good, positive differences. Um, they just impact the way that these hospitals uh, need to be paid um, in order to cover the cost of those services. So it's really important, um, and so that's going to be our um, task when this new Congress comes in into place. Um, to really make sure that members of Congress understand what rural hospitals are facing right now. And as we've talked before, when a hospital closes, when a rural hospital closes, it has a ripple effect, not throughout, not just throughout a community, but through a whole region of the country. Absolutely. These rural hospitals really are, first of all, they tend to be the number one or two employer um, in most rural communities. Um, and when that hospital closes, the workforce that goes along with that hospital leaves. So the doctor, the nurses, the pharmacist, oftentimes the pharmacy closes. They're all very tightly connected to that rural hospital. Um, additionally, when, when that workforce leaves, then a lot of the businesses that were around to support that workforce also leave. So we see um, restaurants closing and banks closing. Um, and, and unfortunately, we just see the economy of that community um, really struggling. And then it's difficult for that rural community to get out and attract new business into the community. It's hard to tell a small business to come relocate um, when they want to attract a young workforce when you have to say, and there's nowhere if someone is injured on the job for them to go to the emergency room. Um, there's nowhere for a young family to deliver a baby or take out that small child when inevitably at 2 in the morning the fever spikes and, and you need to take them to the emergency room. Um, and that really makes it difficult for that um, rural community to really thrive and grow if they can't attract that business. So having that rural hospital is so essential in a community. Yeah, impacts the people that are living there and impacts whether or not people in the future will come there to live in that particular area, as you pointed out. Diane, as always, thank you for the update. We'll stay in touch. Thank you so much. That's Diane Kalmus, Government Affairs and Policy Manager for the National Rural Health Association, with an update on the challenges and issues of rural health care throughout the country. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture.
What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612, 800-664-2612. Do you need a car? 
been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, the numbers are showing the damage being done to U.S. pork producers because of the tariffs on Mexico. American pork exports to Mexico dropped 10% in September when compared with September of a year ago. Exports to China uh, going down even more, 33% during that month. So the tariffs are indeed uh, hurting several uh, segments of agriculture. We talk a lot about soybeans, but uh, we're going to focus on the uh, the pork industry right now and the damage being done to our pork exports. Joining us now is the Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council, Maria Zeba. Maria, thank you for joining us. Uh, sometimes we um, tend to overlook uh, these tariffs. Uh, you know, the, the headlines say we've got an agreement with Mexico and Canada. Still needs to be voted on, but an agreement was reached. But the tariffs are still in place and still causing problems, aren't they? Yes, thank you again for having me on. And you are 100% correct. Uh, the tariffs are still in place, and as long as these tariffs on steel and 232 um, retaliatory tariffs are in place by Mexico against the U.S. pork, the USMCA gains are negated. Our producers need those tariffs to come off because they're they're affecting our, our um, products going into Mexico, and they're ultimately helping our biggest competitors. And that was going to be my next question. Not only hurting us by uh, reducing our exports, making our, our pork more expensive in a market like Mexico, but it would seemingly open the door for our competitors. Yes. Um, you know, we're seeing not only the Mexican producers increase their production, but also we're seeing com- competition from Chile and the European Union just finished an FTA with Mexico where agriculture was negotiated. And these are just one after another we're getting hit, um, not only by Mexico on the retaliatory tariffs, but then by them going out and negotiating with these other countries and some of our biggest competitors in the world. So it's, it's not a good situation for our producers right now. Maria, I remember when uh, all of this started, uh, the tensions uh, with Mexico and uh, with with China. There were those that said, "All oh, these countries have to buy; f- they have to buy from us. Uh, they need this product. They can't get it from everybody else. They're going to still have to buy from us." But what we're seeing is it, it can reduce it pretty dramatically, right? That's correct. You know, Canada's a big exporting uh, nation. 
They supply a lot of the world's pork. The EU supplies a lot of the world's pork. Chile, surprisingly, Brazil's coming up. Argentina's coming up. You know, the world is changing, and uh, there's a lot of competition out there. People are, are using our genetics, and they're importing feed from all sorts of parts of the world. So it, it's becoming a more and more competitive world out there, and that's and when we have a level playing field, we are able to compete and we are able to win. But as soon as these sorts of tariffs start taking effect and and we get we get hit, you know, we are put at a huge disadvantage. Administration officials go around the country and they talk about uh, the new USMCA and uh, what they see is will be the benefits of it, and, and that's fine. That's how these things work. But they're not talking about the tariffs very much and, and this impact that we're, we're talking about now. So in your discussions with administration officials, uh, are they, are they uh, aware of these, uh, uh, the damage being done, and they give you any indication that these tariffs might be lifted anytime soon? You know, I testified on Friday at the International Trade Commission on the effects of the USMCA on the U.S. pork industry, and I made it very clear to the commissioners and the administration that our producers are hurting by these retaliatory tariffs on steel and aluminum. You know, we are very happy and we are going to support the passage of this USMCA in Congress, and we hope that Congress takes it up quickly, but we also need to see progress being made on the steel and aluminum tariffs because if we don't get that off, we're really going to be in a a negative position. It it negates everything that we've worked so hard to accomplish over the the last two decades. It really negates the advantage we have of geography, of being so close to Mexico, made it such a, a good customer for us, and the the uh, the distance made it even better. This kind of takes away from that advantage. Correct. You know, we have a geographical advantage of being close to Mexico, of having abundant land and natural resources and good source of grains. Um, you know, these are all advantages that a lot of countries really don't have, and we've been doing very well and. It's it's very sad to see that um, because of of these tariffs, our producers are losing when they should be winning, and they're leaving money on the table. Yeah, do we have an idea how much this has cost U.S. pork producers since the tariffs went into place? Um, a study done by Iowa State economist Dermot Hayes estimates that on an annualized basis, our producers are going to be hit by uh, $2 billion dollars. And, you know, while market development work is going on, we try to find other markets to sell into. It's hard to overcome the loss of markets like uh, Mexico or China. It's going to be very difficult for our producers. We are very optimistic that we will be able to negotiate an agreement with Japan um, and the U.K., but, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to look towards the future at Japan and the U.K. and other countries like the Philippines and at the same time say, well, you know, what, what's happening with Mexico? What's happening with Canada? Are we still going to have that market? Because it, we've become so dependent on Canada and Mexico. They've been very trustworthy um, customers of ours throughout two decades, and we want to continue to sell our high-quality pork into both of those markets. 
and certainly Brexit has uh, complicated the uh, the EU situation as well. So a lot going on, but uh, always want to keep this uh, in in front of people that uh, the headlines may make us think that. Uh, you know things are good once that new USMCA deal gets voted on if it if it gets passed. But in the meantime, we're trying to point out that the economic harm is still being done to various sectors, including the U.S. pork industry, right up at the near the top of that list because of the tariffs. As always, Maria, thank you for the update. Thank you, Maria Ziba, Director of International Affairs for the National. Pork Producers Council. Tomorrow, I'll be broadcasting from the Illinois Corn Growers Association annual meeting. We'll be talking E15, trade, infrastructure, a lot of those issues. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.